Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Back into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. Just pray for Neil before he preaches. Oh Lord, thank you for letting us gather here today to hear your word. Please bless Neil's words today with wisdom and understanding. May you be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to see you this morning. Welcome to CCC. Uh, my name is Neil, if we haven't met. And, you're, and it's just great to, to be together as we listen to God and what he says to us through his word. So if you have a Bible, please open it up there to First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. But let me start by telling you about this. Anyone recognize that movie? Uh, in 2006, the movie Casino Royale was released to great acclaim for its production, for its, uh, its scripts, and its acting. But in particular, it was noted for its character depth, something that you would not normally have expected from a film in this particular franchise. And in this <laughs> scene here on the train, uh, there's the, the woman there, her name is Vesper. She sits down across from James Bond and very soon into their conversation, she gets the measure of who this man really is uh, when she says, by the cut of your suit, you went to Oxford or wherever. Naturally, you think that human beings dress like that, but you wear it with such disdain, my guess is you didn't come from money and your school friends never let you forget us. And his reaction just confirms she reads him like a book. She knows exactly that he is not this upper-class spy he is pretending to be. He is trying to give this impression. He is trying to meet some expectation that people have of him. And something like that is what's happening in Corinth. The Apostle Paul writes this letter that we're reading today, 1 Corinthians, to the church, to the Christians that are in the church there. And he knows them. He's met them. He knows that the way that they are living does not match who they are. So he prompts them to, to, to think back. He says in verse 26, says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So he's getting them to try and think back. Wait, what was I before I ever heard about Jesus? What was I before I became a Christian? And what he's going to show them is what does God call us from? What does God call us to be? And then what does God call us to do? 
So what's the answer to, uh, to verse 26? Think of what you were when you were called. What's the answer for the people in Corinth? Well, Paul knows them, so he answers his own question. He says at the bottom there, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. This is a bunch of people who are not the elites in the world. They are not nobility. They are not known for their great wisdom, something that would have been very highly valued in ancient Greece in particular. And they're not people of influence. They're a bunch of nobodies. They're, they're no big deal. At least he says not many of them were. He doesn't say none. He says not many. And we know, and we know from other parts of the Bible, that some people who are called by God to be Christians are very wise and influential and upper class and, and wealthy. And in the Bible, we can see examples of this. One of my favorites is the Roman centurion from Luke chapter 7. And Luke chapter 7 is an amazing account of this incredibly influential elite man of incredible influence. The Jews even went to Jesus on his behalf. Like, the Jews went on behalf of an upper-class Roman. That is unbelievable. And they went to tell Jesus, oh, Jesus, this centurion, he loves our nation, and he has built our synagogue. And guys, that is influence you cannot buy, that they would do that for him. But amazingly, the centurion, he understands that as much as he rules over his troops, that Jesus rules over him. And Jesus says his faith is amazing. But it does seem to be very hard for people who are great in the eyes of the world to hear and respond to God's call. And every human being already has our sin and the devil encouraging us, don't listen to God. Don't go for what he has for you in his life. Don't listen to his plans for you. But if you're great in the eyes of the world, it does seem even harder. Jesus says it's very hard for, uh, hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It'd be easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle. So it is, it is, if you are a person with great wisdom or influence, if you're the upper class, those can be God-given things, but pride can corrupt them. So a person that's great in the eyes of the world might say, well, I don't need what God has for me. I'm fine. Or I don't want what God has for me. But Paul says to the Corinthians, not many of you were like this. And he's, he's not belittling them. He calls all of them his brothers and sisters. They're Christians just the same as he is. But Paul's words here, they're an attempt to remind them, to, to refocus this church. Because what has happened, for, ironically enough, for a bunch of people who live in Corinth and who were not much in the eyes of the world in Corinth, they have actually adopted the values and the divisions of the world and brought it into the church. And how did they treat each other? So Paul has said, not many of you were wise or influential, not many of you were noble, and yet they are dividing themselves into these little groups. We heard about that last week. They, they have different leaders that they prefer. In chapter three, Paul will go on to call them worldly. And this is affecting for them what it is to be a Christian and what their experience of being a Christian is. But think of what you were, Paul says, because whether you were something in this world, whether you were not, not something in this world, if God comes into your life, when God comes into your life, he affects change on such a deep and profound level that whatever, whatever they were, whatever any Christian were, what we are now is completely different because they have been called by God and they themselves are an example to the world of how God works through something that looks weak, that looks like nothing, but God will work through the weak and the nothing to draw people not to yourself, but to God and his power and his greatness. And we can see that in verse 27 
and in verse 28, it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. If you look at those two verses, do you see the list that it makes for us? Foolish, weak, lowly, despised, the things that are not. You know who that could describe? When you look at that list of characteristics, that's exactly what they said about Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. You can imagine him on his knees with the soldiers whipping him with every punch, one after the other, bruises and cuts and blood pouring out of him. They nail him to a cross, utterly despised, and looking up at Jesus, the people who passed him by, you know what they saw? They saw weakness, they saw defeat, and they saw a fool who said that he was the Messiah. But he can't be, they think, because there he hangs up on the cross. And they sneer at him. Oh, if you're the son of God, come down from your cross. And he doesn't come down. But the remarkable thing the Bible tells us is that he could have come down, but he chose not to. Earlier on, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas comes with a big mob to arrest him, and Peter's not having that. So he grabs a sword, and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. But look at what Jesus says to Peter as he's telling him, put the sword down. This is what he says. And this is, I think this is a remarkable example of God working through what appears to be weakness and foolish. Jesus said to him, do you not think, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. So that means that at any point, while Jesus was being arrested and beaten and crucified, he could have stopped them. So why didn't he? Why in the world did he allow himself to be treated as and looked upon as weak and foolish? This is the type of characteristics Paul is telling the Corinthians. You're like this too. Why would Jesus allow himself to be treated like this if he is who he claims to be? And the answer to that is to make it possible for God to call these people into his kingdom. Jesus died for the sins of all those who would put their trust in him as the son of God who came to save them. And you know, maybe that's, maybe that's you today. If you've never made the decision for yourself to answer God's call, consider to, perhaps that he has arranged for you to be here today to hear it. He's reaching out. That's what God does. He calls us to belong to him. So if your head or your heart is, is moved to respond to Jesus today, don't ignore that. There'll be people at the front who you can come and chat to me, or, or there'll be men and women at the front you can come and pray with. I mean, we're not the important ones. We want you to talk to God, but we're here to help if, if, if you want to have any questions or you want to pray with someone. In, uh, speaking of movies a little earlier, in, uh, in movies, actors and directors, uh, they get a lot of praise. Uh, but if you watch any movie, anyone at all, pick anyone you want, right at the very start, you'll be shown a, a logo for the film. Um, and basically, that logo is the, is the company that made it, is the studio that, that put it together. And they want you to know that logo is there front and center right at the start because they want you to know that there would be no movie without their backing, without their support. You can have all the actors and all the directors you want, but if you don't have the company that made it, uh, then it wouldn't exist. And it's why when a film wins Best Picture at the Oscars, the director doesn't get it. The actors don't get to keep the statue. The producers get it. The people, the company who made the movie, who's responsible for everything. And likewise, and we see who's responsible for everything in, in verse 27. It tells us that God chose. God chose the foolish to shame the wise. 
Think about that for a sentence. God chose the foolish to shame the wise. That doesn't actually necessarily mean that they're fools, the Christians in Corinth. They might be, but some of us might be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're fools, because God clearly gives to some amazing intelligence the ability to engage and to debate. But what that means is, God, at the start of verse 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It means that they're not like the philosophers and the thinkers of the wise ones of Corinth who hold their reason and their intelligence up in the highest place. In fact, God is shaming people who do that. Now, that's an interesting word to see, that God would, you can see it there on the screen, that God chose the weak things of the world to, to shame the strong. What does God mean by that? Does God shame us? If you're a Christian, you know that Jesus on the cross has taken away our shame. So what does, what does that mean? It's about vindication. Vindication. The Corinthians, Paul is saying, are proof that if anyone thinks you can reason your way to God or reason him out of existence with a powerful or impressive argument or with one strength of one kind or another, well, Paul is saying that the death and resurrection of Jesus will put you to shame. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Paul wants the Corinthians to remember and to understand that they were nothing. But now, because God has done something, verse 28 says he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are. So if you're a a nobody, I'm sure nobody would call you that, but if you think in yourself, that you think, you know what, I have nothing that the world would value. I am really no big deal. If you'd even say that you're nothing. And you can feel that way whether you have material things or not. It's not about possessions. It's not about money. You can feel that way no matter what. Well, I pray that your heart would be comforted by what this is telling you. That Jesus is gentle and lowly. That he took on a human nature. That he died as a weak and lowly person. So that he could come and comfort all of us in the low places. God, in fact, God delights to call people who aren't very much in the world because they become signposts back to him because his power and work can be clearly seen in them. It's clear that, that they're the people Paul is talking to in Corinth. Yes, it's very clear you're no big deal because, because therefore you can see what God has done in you all the more. It contrasts the things that are the wise and the strong things of this world are nullified. And if you're a Christian, then what that leaves you with is nothing to boast about. That's what it tells us in, uh, in verse 29, um, that even being one of God's people is not something that we get to boast about because God has made it that we bring nothing in our hands. He's the one who did everything. He's the backer. He's the one who did everything behind us. And the good thing about having nothing to boast about is that if we did have anything to boast about, if any of the people in Corinth had anything to boast about or any of us, then we might miss the thing that God is calling us to be. And that is in verse 30. What is God calling us to be? It is because of him, it says, this is what God is calling us to be, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our holiness, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So if you've been around church for a while, you probably have heard this phrase, in Christ. We use it all the time. And it's actually really worth stopping and explaining. And that's what Paul is doing here in verse 30. He's giving an explanation of what does that mean in Christ. Because we're obviously in Dublin, so how in the world are we in Christ? Isn't Jesus in heaven, and how how does that work? So, I suppose simply put, which is very hard to do, it means that Christians are connected to Jesus in the closest possible way. Uh, Here's what Jesus said about it. I think he he does a better job of explaining it than I was. 
John 17, he says, Righteous Father, this is Jesus' prayer to his Father. Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know, talking about his disciples, they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. He's doing that with us. In order that the love you have for me may be in them and that, look at this, see those words at the end? I myself, myself may be in them. I'm quite fond of saying to people uh, whenever I try to explain what being a Christian is that Jesus is far more than death insurance. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot stand paying for insurance. It's like playing the lottery and hoping you don't win. <laughs> Having to pay for health insurance and car insurance, I thought, I hope I never need it. So when you actually do need it, you think, what am I supposed to call or what am I supposed to number am I supposed to quote? But Jesus is far more than just death insurance. It's far more than just, well, one day I might die, so I want to make sure I'm good. He is far... If, that, if that's all he is to you, you have missed what he is. That's not what he's talking about in John 17. He is far more than that. Jesus wants us to know him. That is what it is to be a Christian, is to know the creator of the universe who would humble himself and die on a cross to save you. That is what it is to be in Christ. It is to know his love for you, which is not conditional and will never, ever be taken away. In fact, it goes beyond anything we could imagine or any love another person could give to us. That is what it is to be in Christ. And Paul has a few words here for us in verse 30. There's three of them. One, two, three. And if you can, I'd love you to take these away, these three words. One, two, three. They're very big theological words. Righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Those three words. One, two, three. Number one, righteousness. What does that mean? Righteousness means that our sin has been paid for, and Jesus' righteousness becomes ours. So you are made right with God. Second one, being holiness... Holiness means that God sets us apart for himself. So rather than being wherever you were, whether you were a big deal in the world or whether you weren't a big deal in the world, whatever you were before, rather than being that, now it means that you have been set apart for, to belong to Jesus. You are his now. And what he will do is he will help us to repent of sin and to resist it. So he's already paid the penalty for our sin, but he wants us to live free of the power of sin in our lives. He didn't set us, forgive us for our sins only so that we could continue to, to keep belonging to sin, so that we'd be under its control. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be free of its power in our lives now. And he can do that. And the third one is redemption. Redemption means that God has rescued us, but he will deliver us all the way uh, away from the presence of sin when we see Jesus face to face one day. Either he will come back or we go to him. But either way, he will redeem us totally and completely from the presence of sin. So those three words, they tell you that sin has been paid for. They tell you that the power of sin over you has been broken. Jesus has now the power over you. And redemption, they say that one day it will be taken away. And that is what it is to be in Christ. So Paul is saying to the church, and God is saying to us through his living word today, whatever you were in the world, not many of you were wise, influential, powerful, whatever. In fact, some of us are weak and foolish. But whatever we were, whether we like that, whether we like the Roman centurion, God has worked in our lives to such an extent that this is who we are now. And that is remarkable. So what Paul then says is, what are you going to do with that? What does God call us to do? Again, he says, we have nothing to boast about, but if we're going to boast about anything, we could boast about him. We could boast about Jesus and what he's done for us. So brothers and sisters, if you have wisdom or wealth or strength, you can boast, actually, that God the, God, God the Father has called you to belong to Jesus. And you know, brothers and sisters, if you have no wisdom and no strength and no wealth, you can also boast in what God has done for you. There might be a challenge for both types of person there. I know those are two extremes, but there might be a challenge for those of us who think we're nothing. No, you're not. In Christ, you are everything that you need to be. 
and there might be a challenge for those of us who actually have, are quite a big deal in the world and go, well, actually, what is God challenging me? Where does my, my identity actually belong? Paul himself is an example of how he, of how, in, in how he shared the gospel with them. If you have your Bible there, you can look at chapter, chapter 2. In verse 1, he says, he didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, which is quite a statement for a man who wrote an awful lot of the New Testament, and it's amazing, and God spoke through him, I know, but still, he is, he's trying to make a point that it's not about his eloquence or his human wisdom. But in verse 4, he says as well, I have no power, no wise or persuasive words. It's basically, he didn't con them into us. He didn't just come in as like the new idea in Corinth amid a sea of all these different belief systems. I've got the next best one, lads. That's not what it was. He wasn't just a persuasive guy. In fact, verse 3, he says he was weak and afraid and he was trembling. And yet people came to faith. And how is that? Well, he says in verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when he says that, I resolved to know nothing. It's not that he was walking around Corinth and someone said, Paul, would you like to know what's on the menu for dinner? And he said, no, no. I resolved to know nothing <laughs> except Jesus. And that's not what he means. Obviously, it's not what he means. He wasn't, like, I don't wanna, he wasn't also one of those types who's like, oh, yeah, I'm not interested in you. All I want to talk to you about is, of course, he knew more than just. But what he's saying is what matters to him most, what drives him, who he is, what he wants other people to know, what he's passionate about. It can be very challenging whenever we get very passionate about something. It's not a bad thing to be passionate about whatever it is you really enjoy. They're probably God-given things. But what Paul is driven by, what he wants people to know, what he, where he is and who he is and what he wants to share with other people, you see how he puts it? He says, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's sure to get in what, it mean, what the cross means. Jesus' humility and weakness and how that meant that people could, be, could become in Christ and what the, all that would mean. In, uh, in my last job, uh, three days before I left, uh, my last job, new guy started. Um, very nice guy, really friendly. Even in the short time that we worked together, we made this connection. And I remember being a bit sad, you know, oh, you know, I'm not going to get to know this guy. Um, build up a friendship by which we could, I could share Jesus with him one day. And I, I, you know, I left the job. And then over Christmas, I saw him. I was out for dinner, and he was the waiter. The guy works two jobs. And there he was. And he remembered my name. You know, so warm, so, so, it's the same, same guy I remember, so friendly. And I thought to myself, you know, I should invite this guy to church. It's Christmas. You know, he'd expect it. But I didn't, you know. And I know this isn't a very inspiring story, but here's why I'm going I'm to share it with you. I think the reason I didn't is because I was afraid. I was afraid because I was depending on my own influence and my own words. And I thought, I've hardly said a word to this guy. I, I've got this bill of trust with him. What am, it's going to sound foolish to him. I thought I would look weak and foolish, and I don't want to look weak and foolish. I don't want to look. You see, see what I'm trying to say? That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. Not many of you were much in the eyes of the world. What do these verses say to me? What do these verses say to us? That God is the one who calls people to belong to Jesus. If you're a Christian, that's what happened to you. He chose you and you're in Christ forever by his power and he will continue to work his Holy Spirit in you and with, in you, but also with the people he has put in your life. And you never know what God will do with that. And as we, as we live this out, as what we say as, and what we do reflects who we are in Christ, not whatever we were, we will find something amazing will happen in us. If you have a look at, actually it's on the screen, verse five there at the bottom. That your faith, Paul says that your faith, this is all what's gonna happen as we live out who we are in Christ, not who we were in the world. Two, verse five, that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know, it's kind of picked up in that video we watched earlier, but so often people think, 
of, of a Christian, oh, you have great faith. A Christian, oh, you, you have great faith. I, could, I don't have faith like that. Uh, so someone might say to you. And verse five tells us, no, it's not my faith you need. It's the one that my faith is standing on. It's the one that our faith is powered by. And what does that tell you? That your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you became a Christian. Understand what God has done in your life through the cross and can see how all that was not through what you were in the world or what you weren't in the world. It was through God's power at work in you. And he will continue to work his power in you that you might better be, understand what it is to be in Christ and better share the gospel. And that can be a prayer for us individually, but also for us as a church, as we see God's power at work in our lives. Let's pray and ask God to, uh, to convict us of this. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we pray for, for CCC uh, and us as a church that, uh, that what we are would be a people who are found in Christ, that Jesus, who is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Uh, Father, would you, would you challenge us, encourage us to, to, to be who we are in Christ, not whoever we are in the world or whoever we were before you found us. We do thank you so much that you've called us to belong to Jesus. And we pray for those we know and love who do not know Jesus, that, that your power would be at work in their hearts, in our lives, and that we will testify about Jesus and be a church that, that sings the song of the gospel wherever and with whoever you've placed us. Amen. Amen.